Welcome to The Vital Preacher. I'm Pastor Matt Cadle at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, in the state of California. And I'm Zach Paris. I am a campus pastor somewhere in the state of Colorado. Today I'm coming to you live to tape, if we had tape, from uh, Louisville, Colorado. Not Louisville or Louisville. Uh, Theville. Louisville, Colorado. Oh, I, I wondered about that. Louisville, huh? Named for a different person, not uh, Louis King royalty from France, but uh, a guy named Louis who helped to settle Louisville and, and turned into a coal mining town where we had excellent mining riots in the late 1800s. little Colorado history for y'all. We're that's always tuned in. That's why people want to know. And it's kind of that like Colorado history in the same way that, that I grew up in, in Lincolnton, North Carolina, which again, interestingly named place. Most cities in the South aren't named for President Lincoln. Um, <laughs> I never thought about that. Yep. True. Uh, yes. But the fun fact is we weren't named uh, Lincolnton, North Carolina uh, and Georgia are not named for President Lincoln, but are named for Benjamin Lincoln, a revolutionary war general uh, who, never, who never has never been there, never was there, uh, probably won't make it there ever. Uh, but we had a revolutionary war battle, the Battle of Ramsour's Meal. Meal. Gosh, accent. Snuck in there on mill, Ramsour's Mill, not Ramsour's Meal. It's significant only if you live in Lincoln County because uh, it doesn't really matter. And it didn't involve like actual like armies, right? Like troops, but it was just locals. Like, like basically they had a pickup game of war where like, <laughs> the locals picked sides and fought each other. So it's only significant if you live there. So when was it named Lincolnton? Uh, you know, 1787. Let's call it that. But they, I mean, it's surprising to me that they didn't change the name like during the Civil War. Rather, you would think it'd be like in protest, we're going to change the name. They are not going to change their name just because some carpetbagger also happened to be named Lincoln. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, this is why they tune in. This is why you're not going to get this on Working Preacher. Just You don't change it? I just want to make that clear. I just want to make it clear. Can't do it. Man. Well, it is uh, it's summer 2017, Zach. We're making our way through the summer. It's the dog days now, I think. The dog days are over. That's a fantastic song, right? What is that? Uh, Florence and the Machines. <laughs> is it? Oh, that's true. Yeah. The dog days are over, man. We're already blowing the playlist at the top. I saw her at Coachella. How was she? Is she a good live show? Uh, Yeah, but she had broken her leg at the the weekend before at Coachella. So it was the entire show was like her on a stool. And she was still really good, but she was like seated the entire time. What's what's life like for you in uh, Colorado in August? Early August, I should say. Early August. I am mid-August. Mid-August. Clinging to the last fumes of summer. Next week, I got to go back to work, Matt, because I haven't been working all summer. Students are almost here, but they're not quite here yet. Um, Last ditch preparations to pull it off. Yeah, it is that that time of year. It's crazy in Los Angeles. uh, August 13th is back to school Sunday for us because the kids, the LAUSD kids Mm. go back to school August 15th, which seems really early to me. Yeah. We're starting um, back a little late this year. We don't start until uh, like August 28th, 28th. But that means we go almost till Christmas. Like it's crazy. Oh, yeah. But I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take the late start. So, yeah. R- winding up summer, revving up. 
uh, for the school year. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so something crazy has happened in my life that's worth sharing. Oh, what? Something oh my crazy gosh. has happened. This is big news. At the very last minute, things have arranged themselves so that next week, as of this recording, which is well in the future of when it will be released, my daughter and I are going to Florida with my family. So that's good news, bad news. Good news, it's vacation at the beach. Bad news, it's in Florida with my family. Uh, they have orange juice at the rest stops, though. They do, and grapefruit juice, okay? And grapefruit juice. Right? Citrus capital. <laughs> Bad news, I was really excited when this worked out, because I was like, this is the time I'm going to learn to surf while I'm down there, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's... Is there, is there surfing in Florida? <laughs> there is surfing in Florida on the Atlantic coast. We are going to be on the Gulf coast where there is no uh, surfing. Uh, so we've got to save it until we do a vinyl preacher in person. Uh, <laughs> out uh, out in, in, in California for me to, to realize my surfing dreams. But Matt, I need to read a book. What should I read? You know, books. Do you have any summer reading recommendations for me? Beach books? Oh gosh. I don't want to read anything too heavy. I've got plenty of heavy things and I'm tired of reading heavy things. For instance, I've got like seven books on my list right now about the uh, Palestinian-Israeli situation, and I don't want to read that at the beach. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to read on my vacation. You may or may not be interested, but I just – they uh, the trailer just came out for the new adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, and it looks phenomenal. It's Ava DuVernay, who directed Selma and 13th, and she's got this multiracial cast, and it just looks, it just looks so good. And I haven't read that book since, like, I was – a kid and so i'm curious about it because i know mm. there's science and spirituality uh and mythology and all kinds of stuff mixed up together so i'm curious about uh madeline langle and the wrinkle in time quintet so i'm going to dive into it uh when i'm on vacation and i am with my in-laws and wondering what to do <laughs> <laughs> i like it i've not read that i have not read it maybe i'll i'll maybe i'll i'll, I'll take that with me I ordered a Kindle for the first time because I didn't want to. I didn't want to pack a bunch of books because I gotta Matt, carry all this baby stuff. Hannah can. And hear, I was like, Hannah can hear uh, you. A wife, the librarian, can hear you. So let's. Library supported. I, Chris checks out all her Kindle books from the library. I think she's gotten less judgmental, but but at times yeah. been very judgmental about the the Kindleish sort of thing. I mean, I had the e-reader, the Kindle app for my iPad before my iPad yeah. died. It died. It just doesn't charge anymore, and I'm sure I could get it fixed, but I haven't. And do you really want to pay to get an iPad fixed? I don't know. Just get another one. That's what they want you to do. I mean, that's, what I, that's what I want to do. <laughs> the screen's still cracked from the first week when I got it, when I wanted to get a new one immediately. But... What, a de- what a decorative hammer fell on it? Yes, a decorative hammer from uh, Anthropology fell onto it the week I got it. That's my favorite story. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, yeah. Well, if you um, let me know what you end up reading. I mean, I'll I might. To, I I'll might. Add it to my Kindle book. I might Kindle start. I have not read Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice Ooh. and Fire, so I might. Yeah. That might. I think I'm ready to do that now. Yeah. Cool. I think it's going to take my viewing to another level now that the the, the show is past the books. Chris, Chris read the books. She had, we have not watched the show. I mean, like I've seen a couple episodes, but she, we has, she hasn't watched it because she read the books and like. Every time she got attached to a character, they'd kill off that character, mm-hmm. and it eventually just was too much. <laughs> it's just like, I can't handle this. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see how you like it. You've already seen the show, though, so you know what to expect. I bet they're, oh, but it's going to set up the, yeah. oh my gosh. Matt, there's so much. We need a whole, <laughs> we need a whole uh, Game of Thrones preacher podcast. Well, speaking of epics, 
with many characters that sometimes kill each other. In gruesome, gruesome, gruesome fashion. Gruesome fashion. Like, uh, Theon. Theon is involved in this. <laughs> you can ask Chris what that means. It's not good. I mean, speaking of that, we have been spending the summer doing a little summer reading of our own. You know, picking up a light, some light reading in the book of Genesis. The summer of Genesis, y'all. A part of what, what the narrative has been doing for us, you broke it up nicely the other day on the podcast a few weeks ago when you said that uh, we had the creation part, we had the Abraham part, and now we're in the Jacob part. And a large part of what this is Jacob's stretch of the semi-continuous narrative, uh, the semi-continuous RCL, the lectionary does, is sets up some etymology behind the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Certainly uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau's considered the, the father of what, the Edomites, I believe, right? So we're yeah. of Edom. So we're setting those Eat them up. up. Uh, <laughs> we're going to hear about uh, Judah, right? Today, yeah. Judah, the, the son of Jacob, set up all those things, which is really not that far from uh, thinking about the seven kingdoms of uh, Westeros in the game of thrones, right? That house is uh, the different houses. So, a lot of parallels. No, there are. It's craziness. All right. I think it's time. We've already passed through it's the time. It's well so. past time into the type of the text. Oh my gosh. So, man, I've been thinking about this. Like, like you said, reading through this over the summer, going through the different, the different parts of Genesis. It's, it's really interesting. Like, I, I like, you know, some of the stories and some of them are some of our favorites, like Jacob wrestling, um, but to see them in context of the larger narrative here has been really interesting. Um, especially like to see the way these, these different characters are related. So today, today we are moving into, uh, the, the third and final um, cycle of the Genesis stories. It's the cycle of, of Joseph. Um, and it takes up like the last 13 chapters of Genesis. So it's like a good it's chunk a lot. of Right? It is a lot. But it's really interesting because his story, um, and I'm going to have more to say about this next week when we wrap up uh, Genesis, but his story is, it's distinct from his father and from his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Right. Like it's, it's distinct in his relationship with God. The way that God um, acts in this story is also different than it was with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. I think that's really fascinating. I don't think we often think about that. Um, the way that God shows up differently in these different generations. Um, but here it is, the story of the family of Jacob. So we introduce Joseph. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. It's not Technicolor. I know. I just introduced a long robe with sleeves. That's right. I thought it was Technicolor. No, Ralph Klein, our good friend, says, right, the, the story is often been romanticized with a coat of many colors. It was probably only a long sleeve coat. Joseph with his fancy sleeves extending over his forearms. What, a, what an extravagant jerk. So what the what the lectionary has given us, uh, this semi-continuous lectionary has given us is Genesis 37, 1 to 4, verses 1 to 4, and then verses 12 to 28. So what we get is this introduction to Joseph uh, as this, uh, he's 17, and he, he's a tattletale. His, his brothers don't like him because uh, his dad is playing favorites. I don't know what the deal is with his family and playing favorites with their kids, but they're doing it again. And so it pisses off his brothers. And then we skip the part about the dream. What? We don't right. get the dream. Joseph's dreams. I thought that was like the key piece of Joseph. They even call That's... him later. Look, look at this dreamer. But we mm -hmm. didn't even get the dreams in the lecture. We skip over them for a reason that I don't understand yet. Um, and then we're here. The brothers uh, plot to 
to uh, to take him out. We get a little Game of Thrones here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do. They conspire to kill him. Uh, they decide to throw him into a pit, and he gets sold into slavery. That's the the short version. Uh, it's a pretty brutal little story. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting when we get to the end and have to find good news. Uh, <laughs> since since God doesn't appear to show up, at least not on the surface, not in some explicit <laughs> way, right? And it ends with Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. <laughs> so here's our story for today. So a couple of things as we make our way through um, – I think it's interesting the way that, so again, God, God not showing up in here, uh, at least not at first. Um, Joseph just gets introduced. Uh, he just kind of shows up at 17 years old. His dad's introduced in the womb, already mm-hmm. fighting with, with Esau. His mom prays to God. He, she gets this message from God. No clear messages here. There is a dream uh, that doesn't show up in the lectionary, but it's pretty cryptic, and Joseph doesn't appear to understand what it means. Nobody seems to understand what it means. So it's not like God is saying, like, hey, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. He just gives them this weird cryptic dream. Uh, and that's that's our introduction to Joseph. Um, anything else you want to say about the introduction? I know that you mentioned it's not a technical dream coat. It's good to know. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm <clears> – <throat> No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is. It is interesting. Now, uh, Joseph goes to see his brothers, uh, or he gets sent actually, he gets sent by his dad to go visit them at a certain place. What is the place where they go? It's Shechem. What do we know about Shechem? What do we know about Shechem? Shechem's a place. This is why you got to read the books for Game of Thrones. So when they talk about Shechem on the show, you know, uh, you know what they're actually talking about. There is an earlier episode that occurs at Shechem, but so Shechem is currently in the West Bank, uh, and it's actually the city now known as the city of Nablus, which, fun fact, is a sister city to Boulder. Uh, we've had great hubbub over many years that I've lived here over the process of becoming sister city to the Palestinian city, but we do. We're a sister city now with, with Shechem, with Nablus. Right? So, if you go back, it's not good. If you go back to chapter uh, 34, uh, just before 34, after the reunification of of Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob reaches Shechem in safety, right? Um, And they end up there. And now... They end up in Shechem, and basically what happens, right, is that there there needs to be, uh, oh, there's a, a human named Shechem, <laughs> right? Shechem wants to marry Dinah, a uh, son, a uh, daughter of Jacob, and the sons of Jacob get involved in this, and they are definitely the sons of Jacob because they have some deceitfulness in them, and they convince all of the males in Shechem that they need to be circumcised in order for the wedding to happen. Right, because they're 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 uh, Jewish folk, uh, and that you need to convert. Um, right, there's actually like some modern day like current events about this. Right, where uh, the conservative Jewish movement in the United States is now uh, given like the okay uh, for uh, Jewish folks to marry non-Jews, um, which is a, a big movement. Right, a new thing. Uh, <laughs> Didn't used to be that way for most of Judaism. Um, so they said, this is the way it is. You all, not just uh, not just your your husband needs to be converted and to, to be circumcised, but the whole city needs to be circumcised. 
Uh, and so they do it, right? Uh, and what do we know about circumcision? Lots, Matt. We know lots about circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we know about circumcision is that when it happens for males, it is uh, intensely painful as adults. Uh, especially back in the day, they didn't have anesthesia uh, or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, all the males have a circumcision party and they all get circumcised and they're all for days uh, in incredible pain, healing. Uh, and as that is happening, the sons of Jacobs, uh, they run in and they murder everybody. Um, right? Uh, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, took their swords and came against the city unawares and killed all the males, killed every single one of them, and took their flocks and herds and donkeys and whatever's in their city and fields. Jacob, though, has made a turn, right? He's that transformation is holding, and he becomes very upset about it. Um, is this is this a scripture's version of the red wedding? This is exactly <laughs> what is happening here. This should right? have been the, the the summer of the Genesis of Thrones is what this should have been. They red wedding them. So all that to say, Shechem has a literal, very bloody past. Uh, yeah. The the whole oh Matt 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 Matt. If this is like the red wedding, okay, which nerds are you with me happened in the phrase uh grand like dining hall uh if spoilers spoiler alert if you watch the first episode of the current season of king of thrones there's some symbolism because Arya stark shows up as walter phrase because she's a faceless man now and murders a bunch of people in the phrase that's the oh it's a cold open into this right where she takes revenge in that same room from the red wedding and kills all the phrase again that was a spoiler alert sorry um we're back, right? It's like a cold open. Imagine this week, cold open. Oh no, we're back at Shechem, uh, where this dirty uh, horribleness happened. Um, uh, Donna was raped, right? So it was a response to like a, a rape, which is horrible as well. Like horribleness all around. Very Games of Thronesy. Um, but we're back in that place. That's the backdrop uh, when the flocks are near Shechem with uh, Joseph and his brothers, who don't like him very much at all really at all oh my gosh so that's all like i mean you think like if you're if you're hearing this story if this is a an oral story and they're telling the story you hear the word shechem like is that in the back of your mind right because you just heard mm -hmm. this story it's a call it's a call like it's a foreshadowing so there should be some sense of foreboding for joseph right all of a sudden the soundtrack starts playing it's a great day for a <laughs> red wedding <laughs> right oh my gosh so he comes to shechem he gets there. Joseph gets there. And this man finds him wandering in the fields. And then I love some of these lines uh, because it seem, they seem to, like, open up um, beneath themselves. Like, they mean more than uh, – I mean, I'm sure I'm reading too much into it. But there's, I think, potential for a preacher with some of these great lines. So the man asks him, what are you seeking? Hmm. And he says, I am seeking my brothers. What? <laughs> I just – I feel like you could really – uh, unpack that, take that apart, do some things with that. What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. We don't find out who this man is, um, but he's just, he finds this guy. Well, I'm seeking my brothers. The man says, they've gone away. If I've heard them say, let us go to, is it uh, Dothan? Do you know anything about Dothan? Dothan, Alabama. It's a miserable <laughs> place. <laughs> is that a place? There's a place. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dothan is actually is, is uh, 15 miles north of Shechem, 
of the point being here that even further away from home, which is, uh, so uh, Nablus Shechem is in the north of like the West Bank, if you look on a map today, uh, and they're coming out of, they're kind of camped and living near Hebron, the Valley of Hebron, uh, which makes sense because that's actually where the Tomb of the Patriarchs are. We talked about that a little while back. Um, so this is in the north, relatively north of, of Hebron. And so moving to Dothan, moving even further away from the kind of protection of Jacob. Um, yeah. So moving farther from home, they see him coming. And, uh, and they said to one another, here's another line. Here's another line. Here comes this dreamer. Oh. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him. <laughs> that's actually that's actually not what Lindsey Graham said earlier today about the dreamers. Uh, we shall treat them fairly. Is that what they said? Because that's that's how like not cool the sons of Jacob are, right? Lindsey Graham looks incredible next to them, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! So great line. They here now come. Here comes the streamer. Come now, let us kill him. And then they come up with this plan. Then they get specific with the plan. They're going to throw him into a pit and say that a wild animal ate him. And then here's another one. We shall see what will become of his dreams. (laughs) I mean, it's just fantastic. I mean, what like high drama is going on here? Um, But then some of the brothers speak up. So first Reuben, uh, Reuben, namesake of a sandwich, speaks up and he says, uh, well, let's not uh, let's not kill him. Um, Let's let's just um, let's just throw him into the pit. And then (laughs) um, and then he thought he would come back later and pull him out of the pit Mm. and he'd come back. So maybe they just kind of mess with him. They'll just, they'll just mess with him a bit, throw him in the pit, but they won't actually kill him. He doesn't want to... Um, like Jamie Lannister, allowing Tyrion uh, to be convicted uh, of murdering Joffrey, but then he sneaks around later and, and lets him out. Exactly like that. Exactly. Exactly. Game of Thrones, you guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they do it. They do it. He comes to... He, he finds his brothers. They strip him of his robe. They throw him in the pit. The pit... <laughs> the pit. Yeah, I love these lines. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Ooh. Water. No symbolism there. Nothing you could do with that. Nothing, nothing you could do with that. You should definitely take all the water out of the font uh, during <laughs> Lent, is what that says. Uh, that's, that's basically what it means. Come on. So the pit. Come I mean, on. if you want to go, if you really want to ice Jesus some sacramentalism into this, uh, I mean, look at this line. There was no water in it, period. Next sentence. Then they sat down to eat. What? <laughs> so they throw him into a pit with no water, and then they, the betrayers, sit down to eat. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Well, while they're eating, they see a caravan, a caravan of Ishmaelite, Ishmaelites. What? Descendants of Ishmael? He's back? What? I mean, all these characters are related. It's like you were off in this land, and then you're in this land. It's just like, I mean, it's totally Game of Thrones, right? Like, you're just, what? Here comes another tribe? But we've seen this tribe before. They're actually kind of related to us in some weird way. Oh, my gosh. Hmm. They see them coming. Uh, And then Judah says to his brothers. Now, I don't know. Apparently, Reuben and Judah not really communicating with each other on this one. Hmm. Um, Judah comes up with another plan. Well, uh, what profit is it if we just kill our brother? (laughs) Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
Uh, we will lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. I'm going to put a double speak going on here. Uh, and they agree. And so they they draw, they draw, draw him up out of the pit, lift him out of the pit, sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Not 30 pieces of silver, but 20 pieces of silver. And they take Joseph to Egypt as a slave. Uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wait, you forgot to read the resolution. Oh, no, what's the resolution? I just assumed the story was going to resolve itself so we'd have good news no, to preach. There's no extra verses tacked on like at the end of fake Mark. No, it just ends like that. They take Joseph to Egypt. That's where the lectionary ends today. Um, so, yeah, fun little story. What? what? <laughs> so I got some things. I mean, I think it raises some really uh, interesting questions for us. I mean, the question that I wrote down uh, at the top of the page when I was reading through this story, I said, where is God? Because God doesn't show up in some clear, explicit, obvious way. And not only that, but it's not like um, we're just in some neutral zone where not much is going on. No, some really horrible things happen. And God doesn't appear to intervene to stop those horrible things, um, at least not yet, or at least not in some clear, explicit way. So if you are living in a world where you're looking around going, man, there's some really horrible things happening. Uh, what is God up to? Where's God in the midst of this? This might be a story for you. This might be a story for a time like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll draw from my, from my Brueggemann reading. I did, I did read a commentary for a reason, so I'll draw out a line from it. Okay, Brueggemann uh, is a little bit, I think he's not a, not as much of a fan of the Joseph story as he is of, of some of the other stories in Genesis, but he does have this line. He says that these stories are about this question. How does one speak about faith in a context where the older ways are found wanting? How does one speak about faith in a context where the older ways are found wanting? Um, God's not showing up in Joseph's life in the same way that God showed up in Abraham's life or Isaac's life, uh, or Jacob's life. Um, and what does that mean? What does that mean? Does, um, yeah. Mm, I mean, there's no, like, literally no no Yahweh, no God in this story, right? At least not on the surface, right? Now, when right. we get to no next explicit week, we look, right? When we get to next week, and, and, and Joseph kind of does a recap and looks back at his life, um, then he is going to talk about God. But it's like God doesn't show up, like, in the midst of it, right? It's really interesting. He doesn't even, even show up as a night visitor to wrestle with. Well, right, exactly. Um, unless you count the dream, which gets mm-hmm. cut out of the lectionary. But even the dream is not, it's not even as clear as Jacob's ladder dream, right? No. Where like these angels are going up and down and then God seems to speak and interpret the dream for Jacob. Mm-hmm. Here, it's just a cryptic dream. And then Joseph's just left with it. <laughs> hmm. Wow. I know, right? I know. Just so I, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I just want to ask if, if Joseph has any like culpability in this. Yeah, because you could like, if you read the dreams, he's kind of a uh, kind of a dick about it, right? Can we say that? Is that fair? Like, he totally is. He's not a likable. I mean, he's he's not. Oh, yeah, he does. He's, he's not a cool like, dude. Kind of a no. I mean, maybe at some point. I mean, we'll see how his narrative takes off. But, like, it's really, it was really interesting to think about it because, like, it's like Abraham 
Abraham and God seem to have this. They've got this interesting relationship. Um, they seem to have talks in the back porch sometimes. They God even shows up like three visitors. Um, Isaac, <laughs> I don't know, man. But Jacob, I mean, Jacob is like Jacob's like an antihero, right? Jacob mm-hmm. makes these choices. They're not always likable choices, but you are kind of rooting for him sometimes, right? Like he's yeah. like he's like he's an, he's an antihero, right? Like he's like he's like the Deadpool character. He's the I don't know, but we're you're kind of rooting for him. He's kind of a dick, but you're kind of also like he's a little Tony Starkish going on. I don't know. He's there's some um, underdog, like there's an underdog element to Jacob, right? Um, and it would seem right, like I like the way I remember the Joseph story before I get into the details is that the the Joseph has that same sort of underdogish sort of quality that it's a story about, uh, right? The youngest uh, does he even say that? I've always assumed that he was the youngest. Is that well? I think. Is it Benjamin? Is Benjamin the youngest? Or is he? I don't know, but he does get like he is his father's favorite, right? Like he's like yeah. his favorite kid. He gets this fancy coat, and then he's even like a dick to his brothers. Oh, he brings them a bad. He brings his dad a bad report about them, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you're already like a uh, tattletale. Like, what is the deal with this guy? Um. So, yeah, I don't want to victim blame here, but you know. <laughs> Let's blame the victim. <laughs> but he could have played his cards a little better here, right? He could have. He could have. But yeah. Yeah. Again. But he gets. But then he gets dragged through the mud. Like literally, he gets thrown into this pit. And then he's going to go on this adventure, which we're not going to get in the lectionary. Next week, we're going to fast forward all the way to the end. Um, which is kind of sad because this is an amazing. There's some really fun stuff that happens. Um, <laughs> He goes to Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife. What kinds yeah. of Tamar? One of the worst stories in the Bible. Well, well, yeah, and that one's more of a. It's it's this little um, episode that seems to have nothing to do with the episodes before or after about Joseph. But yeah, he goes to the he goes to Potiphar's house. He gets. Uh, <laughs> he's not even. I mean, he. he he just kind of gets dragged through the story. I mean, he doesn't really seem to, he doesn't make the kinds of, cho- the hustler choices that like, mm-hmm. um, that like a Jacob would make. It's so who's the, is there, is there a hero? If we're going to look at it in this, these terms, is there a hero in this, in, in this week's story? I don't know that there is a hero, but if I, there are these little moments, there are little threads. Um, there are these little threads of, I don't even want to call them hope, <laughs> but, but the fact that Reuben intervenes, right? Like they could have killed him right away. Um, but Reuben intervenes, maybe not in the most like upstanding of ways. Uh, like he just said, Hey, let's not do this. But he mm-hmm. comes up with this alternative plan. And that does seem to be key in saving Joseph's life at that moment. And then Judah too, stepping up and, um, and sending him into Egypt like it actually plays this role in what's going to happen with Joseph's life. And then what's going to happen with the history of Israel, the whole book of Exodus, like this all hinges on this, this little moment here where Joseph goes to Egypt. Right. Like, and I, and I don't know what to say about those things, but it does seem like if you were going to find the activity of God, if you're going to point to something and say that there is um, some divine activity happening here, that's, I think that's where you would, you would pull it out. It's, it's dim. It's a glimmer and it's not totally clear yet. But those are the little, I don't know, they're like aberrations. If this were just a story where like a bunch of bad stuff happened at the end, you wouldn't have those two moments, I don't think. Um, But they're these little aberrations and the little aberrations are going to add up to something at the end. I think homiletically you can't preach 
this week completely divorced from next week. Um, <laughs> right? Like, because I think that that's the way, that, I think that's the only way to find good news is when it's connected to next week and the resolution of the story, the resolution of the, like the entire book of Genesis. The book of Genesis ends with, with Joseph's death, uh, right? Really kind of powerfully, if we think about it, Joseph died being 110 years old and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. The end, right? In Egypt is the end of the story. Um, this story, this arc over 13 uh, chapters is what's going to take, bring this story to a, to a close and move on to yeah. a completely different chapter. Yeah. Um, and what we've, we've lifted up over the summer is, um, is about like how, if it, the promise is this promise of life and of descendants, that it's hinged always on all of these really unlikely things happening. Um, and not necessarily like supernatural crazy things, but uh, that, that Abraham was able to, and Sarah were able to have Isaac, that they were able to have an heir, that Isaac's emissary uh, randomly found the right person, woman at the well in the middle of the desert who, who was the, really into camels. And that again, that Jacob runs into to Rachel in the right place at the well. The well. And here again, um, all it would, t- would have taken is, um, is Reuben or Judah, is that the other one, uh, not, not saying something and the promise is over. Like it's, 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 it ends. So I think like what I would do homiletically this week is is focus on Reuben and Judah and I'd, I'd probably uh, at least within the sermon extend the reading because I really like the part we don't get uh, when Reuben returns to the pit and saw that Judah Joseph wasn't in the pit and he tore his clothes um, so you get both right you get some a lovely a lovely dose of paradox that the that the actions of Reuben and Judah uh, are enough, but not enough, all at the same time. Um. Yeah, yeah, and but also, but also, like what you said about like looking ahead to the to the end of the story. I think there's, I think there's also value in like spending some so spending some time in in this this place, this story where it doesn't seem immediately evident. Um, where the good news is, because there are moments in life that are like that, right? And in those moments, you have to remember where God was present in the past, and you have to remember the promise of where God will be in the future. And there are those moments where it doesn't seem like there's light. It doesn't seem like, I mean, this is a, I, I think there's, that can be good news, right? To acknowledge um, that there are times like that and to remind ourselves of the full, of the full story in the midst of that. Um in some ways, it's like a Good Friday text, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what we do on Good Friday too, right? We don't have Easter yet, but we're also preaching in the light of Easter in some in some way, right? Yeah, I'd push it. I'd push it towards. Uh, I'm thinking of Graham Greene's "The Power and the Glory," uh, which I love as a book. Um, I won't read it next week on the beach, um, <laughs> but right, it's the story of the last good, the last priest in Mexico uh, or in a state in Mexico, uh, and he's a bad priest, right? So the last priest is a bad priest. Um, and so the story's full of these like contradictions of, of great bravery and cowardice all, all together. Um, and I think there's a lot of room in this story this week to, to explore that, that, yeah. that on one hand, right, Reuben and, and Judah are cowards for not doing more, right? And they come to realize it when, the, when they return to the pit, the pit's empty, um, that if they were truly brave in the situation 
called for um, much stronger yeah. words and actions. And yet God works through this tragic, these tragic characters. And, I, and you could start to paint Jacob that way for next week. There's no need, I think, Joseph is a victim. You got to be careful, I guess, walking that line. But he's not a sympathetic character, right? He's a jerk, right? Um, just a real, real <laughs> dick about this stuff, right? Uh, some terrible things happen to him that aren't fair. But the part I'd emphasize, right, is we know going into it that Joseph is this critical link in the story of God. And so yeah. maybe the good news of this story uh, is the story of God using these really imperfect, tragic characters that the whole promise of God depends on them um, mm-hmm. and, and, and finds a way to work among and through them. And I think that's, I think that's good news for us, right? Because most of us are tragic characters. Yeah, and if you wanted to, I mean, it may or may not, if you want to read this uh in a Christocentric kind of way. I mean, there are like, as I'm thinking about it with Good Friday, I mean, it's in, a, in a similar way to which some of the disciples are like these tragic and sometimes cowardly characters and sometimes actively working uh, toward Jesus' destruction. I mean, the 12, the brothers here, the 12 brothers, right? Like um, they, they conspire against him. Uh, individuals are spotlit and they are sometimes cowardly. Um, and what is that? I wonder if there's a similar thing going on. So, I think if you're struggling to figure out how to preach this text, um, maybe also ask yourself how you would preach Good Friday, and it might help to shed some light. Mm. I think I'm starting to like this text. I think it <laughs> it might be able to hold the fullness of like the human experience. Yeah, right? Surprising. Who knew we would end up there? Oh, gosh. Wow. I'm going to be really down on next week because it's going to be all glory and stuff <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, a little bit more easter next week oh my gosh well what do you uh what do you what songs represent the fullness of the human experience Ooh. what are you listening to <laughs> i got some <laughs> do you want to go ahead you seem very excited about well uh joseph uh you know not the most likable character so i was trying to think of a theme song uh for joseph and uh you know, since this is the summer of Genesis, mm-hmm. and I did read a Phil Collins uh, autobiography. Should I read that on the beach? You should. I would highly recommend it. It's called <laughs> Not Dead Yet, the story of Phil Collins. I really I really think Joseph's uh, soundtrack is the Phil Collins hit single, Susudio. Susudio. Susu Studio. It's a terrible 80s pop song. <laughs> but I just imagine... Joseph walking out in his coat <laughs> to this terrible song, right? Like, um, oh yeah, that's me. Woo. You know, and he's just, he's so full of himself. And, uh, I just, that's, that's my soundtrack for Joseph. Wow. So listen to the studio and imagine Joseph. I feel um, like it's going to communicate a whole lot about, uh, the way I'm reading his character this week. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then if you really want to keep the fill going, you can go with something happened on the way to heaven, which is a fantastic little, uh, propulsive propulsive track uh he trips and falls basically while he's uh dancing to his studio uh into this pit uh because of his brothers so make a home fill playlist and then uh get a genesis track called land of confusion uh, which i may have used last week i can't remember but uh that's where joseph ends up is that at a, the end. is that a joke so, <laughs> what a joke <laughs> is it, you can't remember whether you used the land I, of confusion wow Matt, because i'm confused can you hear this <laughs> What? Can you hear this? I'm playing Sue Studio right now. I can't hear it. No. You're right. It's bad. <laughs> it's Joseph. <laughs> yeah, there it is. 
There's just that is wow. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I feel like I feel like you hear that song and you think, can we take this guy out, please? Can we just like <laughs> can we throw him into a pit and not have to hear the, this I, I stupid agree. song? I agree, Matt. Um, yes, what do you got? I got. Um, I know. I don't know. I don't think it's that important. Um, it's one of those things, preacher, where uh, we probably know you have a seminary degree and don't need you to show it off this week. Um, the whole like it doesn't actually say Technicolor Dreamcoat, but the Avit brothers, uh, my good friends, uh, we played their high school when I was in high school. They've got a song called Color Show early on. It's one of the most like Avit brothersy kinds of songs because there's lots of screaming and like angst and stuff uh, but be loud let your colors show try to keep the madness low and if they hear and it's wrong and they come with torches on yeah come on and there's lots of screaming and stuff in that and banjo it's uh yeah so it's kind of like if the Avid brothers song was like be loud wear long sleeves try to keep the madness low the song's not as good not as good but let your colors show <laughs> um, let your color show that's the title of it it's color show one word but then they come with torches on because you let your color show, man. You gotta be careful with that. Oh, uh, fantastic! I like it. See, see, let your color show. But then they're gonna come with torches, man. Uh, Matt, I loved the line. Uh, what are you seeking? Are we looking for a question this week, Matt? Are we looking for a question this week? I am seeking my brothers. There's a Dawes song. The downside to my unexpected trip to Florida is I'm not gonna make the Dawes show on Sunday night because I'm gonna be on an airplane. Um, so, in tribute to not making the Dawes show up at the Mishawaka, uh, we've got a Dawes song that at first I hated. Uh, it was by far my least favorite Dawes song because it it sounds incredibly, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, trite. Incredibly trite. Uh, it's a, it's ballad-like. involves like attempted suicide and stuff, right? I found a way into it, and, and, and I hear I hear it uh, in the in the reading. Uh, this week. There's an old man who stands in a buffet line. He is smiling and holding out his plate. And the further he looks back into his timeline, that hard road always led him to today, making up for when his bright future had left him, making up for the fact his only son is gone. Again, that's a trite part there. And letting everything out at once, his server asks him, have you figured out yet what it is you want? And he replies, I want a little bit of everything, the biscuits and the beans. Whatever helps me to forget about the things that brought me to the my knees. So pile on those mashed potatoes and an extra chicken wing, because I'm having a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of everything by Dawes off of the first album. Nothing is wrong. <laughs> a little bit of everything? The biscuits and the beans. Whatever helps me to forget about the things that brought me to my knees. So pile on those mashed potatoes. And an extra chicken wing. I'm having them. There you go. I'm really happy about the summer of Genesis because um, it's uh, we're gonna walk. People are gonna walk away thinking that you just have. They're gonna know how much better your musical taste is. <laughs> Mine. We've picked up so many new <laughs> listeners during the summer of Genesis <laughs> who found time machines and are just really. They found time machines just for podcasts. <laughs> they're living in the 80s, but listen to our podcasts now, which is the beauty of the RCL. They can do that because they're on the same collection area as us. Oh, my gosh. Good stuff. All right. You got uh, you got some – you got a text. You got some good news. You got a playlist. You're what welcome, you preachers. What else do you want? More Game of Thrones tie-ins? Because we could, we could do that. You we could. could do that. If you you could. Just let us know. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it's been real. Hasn't it? It's 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 been vinyl. 